Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. Christian, how are you, my friend? You have recently started going into the school that you teach at to teach students. Crazy talk, I know. I like my students. They're nerds, and that just kind of makes it all better. So, we're good. You know, you know, we're, we're doing fine. I'm glad you are doing well, and I'm glad that you like your students. It would be very unfortunate if you didn't. And, and obviously, if any of them happen to listen to this podcast, I wouldn't want to lose a listener. So, hear that, Christian students. You're, you're well-liked. But also, to my students, if you're out there, if a teacher ever tells you that they love all their students equally, they're lying. Oh, boy. <laughs> a look behind the curtain. There's no way. I have 170 students. You think I love all of them the same? Well, Christian, before we get too down a dark rabbit hole here, let's go down an entirely different dark rabbit hole, and that is Christopher Nolan's The Prestige. We are kicking off a new blend of the month here on the Cinema Drip Podcast, looking at magic movies, specifically movies with magicians, not just any old Harry Potter witchcraft and CGI wizardry. No, I like sir. Harry Potter 4. Just that one? I, I, I like Harry Potter 6. <laughs> Christian's Harry Potter ranked list incoming <laughs> to a letterbox near you perhaps harry potter and the half-blood prince taught me about romance there you go yeah cho chang forever in christian's heart (laughs) that that wasn't that harry potter and the order of the phoenix don't i it was remember don't mess this up (laughs) i do enjoy harry potter but i cannot remember in any case we are embarking on magic month courtesy of our friend and listener paul gonzalez who had recommended this as a topic for us to investigate in an email so if you'd like us to explore a, a blend that you think would be fun to look at feel free to drop us a line at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com we are actively using your feedback as evidenced by paul's suggestion being the may blend of the month so thank you paul for that christian we do get to kick off with the prestige as i mentioned it's a movie that i'm a big fan of and i was very excited to rewatch it again what's your relationship with this movie when I was finishing my rankings for the uh, for Christopher Nolan right before Tenet came out, I rented it. Well, I didn't rent it. I got it from the library, and uh, along with a lot of his other films, which I'd never seen before, such as Following or Dunkirk. Uh, and <laughs> I, I was watching it after a night that I was kind of pissed off. Because I was trying to like set up the home speaker in my apartment and it just wasn't working. And I'm like giving up. And then I just decided to turn the volume of the TV, like cranking it to 11 and then press play on the prestige. And that's been two hours just working on this Sony speaker and thinking, I don't care about this movie. I'm just watching it to watch it. And then things went well. Things went very well while watching the prestige. And and part of that is maybe I'm just, I don't know, maybe maybe just has all the elements that I look for in a film. I do love intersecting storylines, of which The Prestige has many. I do love alternate, not alternate, but like weird timeline things. And um, I'm, I'm not as big on period pieces as you, but I do love respect for a period in which this has 
uh, and Christian Bale, I've said it before, is is my favorite actor. And seeing him here, this is also probably the least transformative Christian Bale performance. He's not gaining a ton of weight. He's not losing any weight. It it was wonderful. So I'm I have very fond memories of the Prestige. I will say though, and the ending, the trick of the ending had me reeling the first time I saw it. I have thoughts on how it made me feel this time around when I know what the secret is. And I'm looking forward to unpacking that, my friend, when we inevitably get to our review here. But the reeling from the ending and that plot twist specifically is one of the most famous parts of this movie. And something that I enjoy about The Prestige is that Christopher Nolan, diehard fanboys, and the the more critical eyes on either side of the Christopher Nolan equation all seem to be in favor of The Prestige. It's a movie that's aged well. It's been well-liked since it came out. At the time, it was actually one of his lowest-rated movies on Rotten Tomatoes, I think, but it, it has gained a little critical appreciation over the years. And it's a movie that we can all get behind. And I know that for me, the reason that I loved it so much is because I in whatever friend's basement I first saw it, and we all went, whoa, no way, as soon as we saw the ending. And then when I would watch it with other friends, I would be the one who got to stare at them while they reacted to the ending and had a blast with that. And now I appreciate this movie not only for its ending, even though I know it, but just for everything that you mentioned. The, the performances, the craft, the period setting, the twisty narrative that Nolan has put together. And I think it's just a, a damn good movie, and I'm looking forward to talking more about it. So, as we are wanted to do here on the Cinema Drip Podcast, let's get some of the details out of the way here. So, this is Christopher Nolan's 2006 film. He is ascending within Hollywood. He has finished Batman Begins, of course, and so he's officially a major Hollywood player. He wrote this movie with his brother Jonathan. Some of his best screenplays, I think, combine their talents, and it's actually based on a novel called The Prestige by Christopher Priest. Uh, it stars Christian Bale, as Christian noted, as well as Hugh Jackman, and then Michael Caine, Scarlett Johansson, Rebecca Hall, and David Bowie, are in the key supporting performances. Um, perhaps the two most key behind-the-scenes players, aside from Christopher Nolan, are actually Wally Pfister, the cinematographer here who did receive an Oscar nomination for his work on this movie, and Lee Smith, the editor, who would uh, be Oscar-nominated for later Nolan films, but was certainly a key collaborator here. Um, the last important things to note are that this movie was made for a, on a budget of $40 million and pulled in almost 110 at the global box office, so a definite success there. And it did receive two Oscar nominations for the cinematography, as I mentioned, and for its art direction, which I think we can get into a little bit more later on in our review. So Christian, as this movie... We mentioned it, you know, Christopher Nolan, we're fans, we've discussed Memento on this podcast before. Where does the prestige lie for you if without belying too many of your thoughts oh, number one on the review oh it's number one look at that <laughs> it's 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 no I, I don't think christopher nolan has made a better movie i love it sometimes christian we we go to war for the takes that we have in that i'm not prone to very hot takes and you are prone to to warmer takes sometimes hot takes but that's a take it that is, i can get oh, no, no, okay 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 look 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 
I don't think people should consider someone's opinion a hot take. Because critical consensus be damned. That being said, I know that it's number three for you, if I remember. Yes. Okay. Cool. Just casually dropping in weird opinions that hot takes shouldn't be a thing, even though it's a well-accepted cultural practice. Oh, uh, all right. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about the prestige then. We we we're we're still going into it. I'm I'm gonna spoil it. You okay if I spoil this, Scott? You're going to spoil it right at the top here when we haven't even officially begun the review? I'm not going to spoil it, spoil it. I'm just going to give the plot synopsis. Go for it. Okay, cool. So, uh, The Prestige stars Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman. They are competing magicians. There are many other characters at play, but these two are magicians who started off working together. During one of their tricks in an accident gone wrong, potentially christian bale's character's fault it is unclear ish in the film hugh jackman's wife it, it well dies within the trick they try to save her they cannot she is dead this ensues a rivalry between the two of them where hugh jackman obsessively tries to belie belittle and get rid of christian bale's technique and christian bale tries to well, not only get back at him every time that he believes Hugh Jackman has offended him, but also to perfect his own craft. Both of them going to great lengths and not just doing very mysterious illusions and elaborate illusions, but going into the realm of actual magic from science and whatever that practice means. Other key players here, Michael Caine, Scarlett Johansson, and Rebecca Hall very much rounding out this cast and it's set in 18 late 1800s england i believe i think we're gonna go with it turn of the century i think Tech, like right right around that time um yes so it is not told in linear fashion and in fact it is i, I don't these aren't really flashbacks it's you're seeing it in different points in time. The movie starts off with Hugh Jackman's character's death. And that's not that's not a spoiler. That's like how the movie starts. And Christian Bale is accused of it. So we kind of see, I don't know, the start of their career intermixed with Christian Bale's trial, intermixed with Hugh Jackman's pursuit of furthering his magic career. Yes, Christopher Nolan is perhaps most famous for playing around with time and having wacky chronology in his movies. Memento, of course, has two timelines that alternate with each other, one starting at the beginning and one starting at the end and going backwards, all moving towards the middle. This this movie is different in that it is told in a straight straight line fa- or not not a straight line fashion. It's told all in one time direction, but it just keeps skipping around which character we're following which time frame we're in whether it's the beginning of their careers or their later careers or post uh jackman's character's death what have you a lot of bouncing around that's why i brought up lee smith the editor he had to weave all this together with christopher nolan and i don't envy how much time that took trying to make sure that everything was handled well but anything else we should mention about the origins of this film i mean it comes in between batman begins in the dark knight it which is kind of interesting to see this come out in that period but it comes out in 
yeah, in that timeline, just as you had stated earlier in 2006. Do we have anything else before we get to fun facts? You know, I I don't think we do. I would let's 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 get to it to my new favorite segment on this show, fun facts. <laughs> Christian, since this is my month, would you mind if I went first? Go for it. I'm honored. So there is a, another musician, <laughs> musician, another magician featured in this movie who is named Chung Ling Su. He does this trick where he, you know, pulls a fishbowl out from nowhere on stage, and Borden and Angier, the two magicians played by Bale and Jackman, try to figure out how he did this trick. He's actually based on a real magician from the time. The real magician's name was William Ellsworth Robinson, who, as you can tell by that name, was a white man who disguised himself as a Chinese magician in order to gain audiences' enthusiasm and and basically use the Chinese culture for his act, which is obviously inappropriate and problematic. But the magician at the time was inspired the character because not only did he you know live as this chinese magician but he actually never broke character in public he really lived the act out and he died because of a trick that went awry and his last words were my god i've been shot and they were (laughs) his last words and the first english that he had spoken on stage in almost 20 years so it came as a big surprise to the people in the audience okay we so we're starting off happy with happy fun facts there you go um Oof. Okay. Several. This this is not a fun fact per se, but David Bowie is the actor who plays Nicholas, Nikolai, Nikola Tesla. Nikola. <laughs> Nikola Tesla. And it is kind of cool to be able to think as you're sitting back, dang, that's David Bowie. That's cool. And my next fun fact actually bounces off of that because Bowie obviously did some acting he's more known for his music but christopher nolan was really dead set on him being the actor for this character but bowie initially declined the role and so christopher nolan actually flew to i might have been la where bowie was flew to him personally and said please you're the only person that can play this part and Bowie, when Nolan actually came out to him and pitched it personally, agreed to it. And apparently that only took about 20 minutes. So Christopher Nolan flew halfway around the world for a less than 30 minute conversation. And of course, he got David Bowie to to take the part. So my next one, in fact, has to do with the two main female characters, Scarlett Johansson and Rebecca Hall, who both appear in future Iron Man sequels. Scarlett Johansson appears in Iron Man 2, and Rebecca Hall appears in Iron Man 3. (laughs) There's a lot of future and current superhero people in this movie. Obviously, Bale was playing Batman with Christopher Nolan at the time. Hugh Hugh Jackman was playing Wolverine. Michael Caine was also in the Batman movies. Yeah, there are super, super people all over this movie. So the last thing that I'll share is I mentioned this was based on a novel by the writer Christopher Priest, who was a fan of the adaptation, but the movie changes a lot of the details. And so it obviously makes you happy to know that the author of the original work approved of the adaptation, even though it changed on some of the details. And one that does not show well for Christopher Nolan is that in the novel, Borden and Angier, their rivalry begins when Borden wrecks a fake seance that Angier was conducting, and it injured Angier's wife, but it didn't kill her. 
So naturally, Christopher Nolan, being obsessed with dead wives in his movies, had to change the detail there so that <laughs> Angier's wife actually died to properly motivate the character he was adapting. But again, Christopher Priest was pleased with the adaptation. So details details aside, <laughs> he, he was probably okay with that. Uh, and my last fun fact is that Rebecca Hall utters a line in one of her final scenes where she says, I know what you are, to Christian Bale's character. And many people, well, she was mortified after she said this because she thought she had ruined the surprise. And there is a surprise in this film. But it was left in the movie, even though it wasn't a part of the script. Nolan was a fan of the accidental improvisation. You gotta love it. All right, Christian. I do appreciate the fun facts section, so I thank you for indulging me as always. But it's time to get down to brass tacks. Let us begin our review of The Prestige. So here's my opening question for you, my friend. The best magicians are able to convince us that they're capable of performing the impossible. And Christopher Nolan, I think, believes filmmakers are the same, enchanting audiences with illusions two hours at a time. Nolan's movies are often about movie making itself, thinking of Inception. It's commonly known that the different members of the crew in Inception are real life counterparts to different people on a film set. And I think you can find bits and pieces of the movie making process or things about movies within all of his films. So that aspect of the prestige is one that has just aged really well for me and that I loved picking up on this time around. So what are your thoughts on this idea, Christian, to kick off our discussion? Does Nolan the Magician see you through all the way to the prestige, commenting on the, on the movies with his magical characters, or did you get lost somewhere in the turn? I believe that he sees me through all the way to the end. And I'm not... It, it, it's weird. It's weird. I think that if it were almost any other director... I would be either upset or confused at some of the choices that are being made. But I think he does manage to balance timelines expertly. He sees me through to the end, and even when I get to the big reveal, and it shocks me and floors me the first time, some people might think, oh, but that means that on repeat viewings, because you don't have the shock, it doesn't work as well for you. No, on this repeat viewing... I was able to appreciate the rest of the movie because I knew how perfectly it was leading up to that shock. So I, it, it's working. This, this magic trick is working for me. The magic trick works and the magic of the movies are still alive, is still alive at Christian's heart. I am glad that this movie still works for you. Obviously it's your number one Nolan. So you kind of gave it away <laughs> earlier, earlier in the recording, but that's fine. That's no big deal. And the, the twist of the movie, I think for some movies, obviously the twist at the end makes rewatching it less satisfying because you're not interested in the mystery anymore. But this is definitely a movie where knowing the twist doesn't ruin it and makes you want to rewatch it again, even to, to pick up on little things that you missed. Even similarly to Memento, which we talked about with unreliable narrators, naturally having a twist ending as well. But that magic of the movies idea was something that stuck out to me on this rewatch. And 
I I know that Christopher Nolan is obviously a, a big proponent of the movies. He fought so hard for Tenet to be shown in theaters and famously kind of flamed out. Even though that movie made a ton of money at the box office, it wasn't nearly as much as it was supposed to make. And there are, are aspects of The Prestige that really stuck out to me as being about the movies in a way, or at least about the magic of the movies. Did you pick up on anything and I can obviously say more about what I mean, but I, I've been monologuing. <laughs> so I, I want to see if you had anything to, to share. Like, did you pick up on that at all? Or is that something that's more my, for my space? I, I, to an extent. To an extent. Because I love films. Okay, so I love films about writing. And I love films about making movies. I do. I think that when you have a movie that's about writing, it's almost self-indulgent because you need a good script to get it made but people who can make movies about writing generally show a lot of love so those films i think on average are above par when i think of the prestige it's a movie about craft and to compare it to filmmaking which christopher nolan is i i is is a cool filmmaker and it's definitely something that he takes so importantly in his life i can see dedication and passion being shown throughout even this prank war that's ensuing amongst bale and jackman deadly prank war (laughs) although i i appreciate the uh the joke i i guess what i was picking up on is like you said the the craft of it all and if we're trying to think about who who here is Christopher Nolan's stand-in or who here is playing parts on the movie set if you if you want to make that argument i i love the way that nolan often interspersed the the illusions or the tricks on stage with the behind the scenes work that went into making the trick happen the one that comes to mind right now is a trick that engineer pulls off with cutter who is michael kane's character and cutter is an ingenieur a person who devises illusions for magicians to use on stage. And there's one that naturally he uses to improve on this trick where you make a bird disappear and then bring it back that ultimately doesn't kill the bird, which is the age-old issue of making a bird disappear on stage, is that you have to kill it and then bring out a new one and pretending it's the original. But he devises this device that allows Angier to make the cage disappear and keep the bird alive. And interspersing that process of putting that trick together with how it came out on stage felt a lot like showing the behind the scenes of a movie and cutting back and forth between the scenes that they're talking about while the director or cinematographer or visual effects artists are commenting about it on stage and i loved picking up on that aspect of it because obviously for me i make this freaking podcast movies are so magical and important to me and i I loved seeing what nola had to say about his kind of argument for the magic of the movies Am I getting anywhere? <laughs> Does that like the idea connect with you? I mean, it's it's no, it's connecting. I I definitely know what you're trying to say. It's um, have you seen Panic Room by David Fincher? I have not. It's well, on the directed ever, by David Fincher. Ever ending watch list. <laughs> as as many David Fincher films are, but then then let's take an easier Fincher example, Mank. Look, Mank is made by someone who cares. I'm not a fan of Mank, really. But even I have to recognize the way that he edits this film. 
the way that he pays homage to Citizen Kane as well as to his father, the way that he wants the audio to sound particularly like this, the way that the wipes and the other editing aspects are working and the car and Amanda Seyfried's makeup, I get that even if it's a film that isn't working for me, the person who made it cared about making that film. Now, The Prestige is working for me, and you have someone who goes, what does it mean to completely lose yourself in your career? Like, legitimately, this is what, this entire movie can be boiled down to the theme of how much are you willing to lose and sacrifice for your work? Who are you willing to sacrifice for your work? How many times over can you sacrifice them? Perhaps the better questions, who specifically are you willing to sacrifice? Because this movie is, I, I hesitate to say what it's all about because I think it's about different things. But one of the things it's most certainly about is obsession and competition. And the ways that people who are obsessed with either a certain goal or with beating someone else at the same game can throw other people under the bus or use people as stepping stones to get what they want. That idea is unfortunately all over the prestige and it's definitely something worth diving into more. So let's take a step back, Christian, uh, away from the discussion about the magic of the movies and the care and the craft that's on display uh, and just head into some of these larger categories. So naturally you mentioned Christian Bale, your favorite actor, and you talked about how you enjoyed his performance in this movie while he's not very transformative, like he often is, shedding weight, gaining weight, wearing heavy makeup, what have you. So how does he stack up against the other performers in this movie? I think the characters are, is one of, you know, or the characters of the prestige are one of the hit or miss aspects for me. There are some that really work and some that don't as much. And so I'm curious to know your thoughts there in terms of both the performers and the characters, I should say. So you got Bale and Jackman, you have the women in their lives played by Rebecca Hall and Scarlett Johansson and Piper Parabo as well at the beginning of the movie. Michael Caine as Cutter, this mentor figure. Who, who stood out to you the most on this rewatch? I mean, Bale. But the, this, you will be hard-pressed to find a film for me that Christian Bale is leading that I don't think he's absolutely killing. And, and I've tried. And I, I want to say one or two examples come to mind, but it's difficult. Because <laughs> I love the intensity with which he takes his own work. Like, this is a man whom you can tell is putting 101% into his acting. So let's, I mean, let me let me backtrack the, this a little bit. Josh Larson, I think, said it so, so well when talking about the prestige. He says, uh, well, for, to him, Christian Bale is not one of his favorite actors. But he said it's because Christian Bale tries so hard. But when you look at him in this movie, it makes sense. Because Bale is speaking about magic the way that you would assume him in real life to speak about acting. So, yes, him being carried away. Also, spoiler-ish, because we'll get to this later, he's playing two people. And when you rewatch this and realize the fact that he's playing two people, oh my goodness. <laughs> like the way that he that he delivers his lines and his intensity 
have like a greater depth and a greater nuance. All of this is also, it also looks like it's easy for him. Even though he's putting in so much work, there's like a mischievous eye. I don't know if you noticed this when he's like planning a trick or when he's pulling the bigger prank on Jackman. He has like this weird little smile. Like he doesn't really want to smile, but it's still creeping in there. Because it's like, yeah, I'm trying a lot and I want you to think that I don't care. But man, I kind of, this is kind of fun. I'm glad you fell down and broke your leg. It's like really fun for me. He, he really relishes that moment in character as the professor. Uh, Borden is Bale's character. So Borden is, has his professor persona on to tout his own show, Crashing Angier's stage show. And he really relishes that moment. I think that's the one you're talking about. Definitely, definitely a performance where he gets to swing all across the emotional spectrum, where he has moments of high intensity and moments of playfulness he gets to be romantic and fatherly and loving and also gets to be so dark and in touch with a really negative part of himself and of the character it's a really really good performance and as you noted he is playing two characters here and the nuances of that can sometimes be hard to spot and i say that meaning that obviously nolan's not trying to tip his hand that's part of the twist if you i mean if you're listening to this episode and you haven't seen the movie yet sorry but part of the twist you know he's trying not to tip his hand but definitely part of the skill there is is getting those small nuances in when one borden is interacting with uh, rebecca hall's sarah and another borden is acting with her or as well uh, what do you think of Hugh Jackman? He's he's an actor who I tend to really like. <laughs> I actually used a Hugh Jackman quote as my senior quote when I graduated in high school. Shout out. Uh, and his character kind of gets some crap for having an American accent in this movie, despite being an Englishman. But other than that, <laughs> what do you think of him opposite Bale? Well, but he's an American in the movie, though, because when um, in, in the journal that he finds, uh, when he goes to to back to america from england bale's character says you're in your home country you're going back to your home country oh really yeah so his american accent is on purpose now okay i tend to like hugh jackman overall the 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 thing is and the thing that i actually know other people have brought up as well he's very showy but it, 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 wow, the casting for this movie was kind of perfect. Bale is very intense, showy. Hugh Jackman is very performative. Let me bring you in. Let me give this grandiose theatrical speech. You theatrical, can definitely yeah. tell that Hugh Jackman did theater. And sometimes it feels as though his or what he's going for or his role is not of the rest of the intensity of of the movie uh, now the, the main place where this comes through is when he's alone reading his journal and uh, christian bell writes uh his character writes about how um he doesn't know what knot he tied because the knot that he tied ended up killing jackman's wife and he like sits up in bed and like screams out he doesn't know kind of a thing. Like he's expecting an audience to applaud for him, but he's alone in a room. So it, 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 I will say when he is on stage, he's amazing. 
when he is alone, I, I think that he's fine when he's with other people. When he's alone, you can definitely tell that he's trying to go for something slightly more grand. And it's not fitting. Man, that's that's interesting because I, I do like Jackman in this movie, but I hear the criticisms and I don't, I guess I don't fully disagree. I'm, I'm just maybe a little bit blinded as a bigger fan of his. But I, I do agree with you that the the on stage aspect of his character as Angier slash the great Danton is is the part that he nails, and he has a double role himself playing an actor <laughs> called Root, who they bring in to be his double for this transported man illusion, and Jackman just really gnaws on the scenery as this perpetually drunk actor wearing a you know a prosthetic nose and bad teeth and such that that is a fun aspect of jackman's character or his performance i should say because it's a different character that i was a fan of but i could see how that that staginess that theatricality doesn't always translate to the more brooding nature of the prestige what did you think of the female characters in this movie because i think that is where nolan tends to take a misstep and he is often criticized for his female characters in his movies i mentioned he often has dead wives in his movies motivating the male characters sometimes two sometimes two as in this movie <laughs> and i actually didn't really like scarlett johansson in this movie upon a rewatch just watching more closely it felt like the accent was her character in a way, which is a yeah. criticism I received yeah. in college improv. So <laughs> I, she, this is not her best work, I don't think, but uh, Rebecca Hall, I think, is, is quite good, as always. Did you have any particular feelings on either of their performances? Well, first of all, Rebecca Hall has a film coming to Netflix this year called Passing that premiered at Sundance, and she is quite a director. Secondly... <laughs> I liked Scarlett Johansson more this time around. I think my overall thoughts on her were on the negative end the first time I watched The Prestige. I honestly think Scarlett Johansson's character was what made me give it a 4.5 instead of a 5. And I this time around, I'm much warmer on her because I do think that there's slightly more than the... The, the accent is not... It's, it's not what you want. It, it's, it's not what you want. But beyond the accent, I do think even in her um, vocality, I don't know if that's a word, but you know what? Words know. are just marketing. In her voice, she's there's such like a vulnerability, but, but also a, a strength to what she's saying. Now, on the... I, uh, Okay, one of the scenes where she's having dinner with, ooh, who's that, who's that dude's name? She's having dinner with Christian Bale. Borden? You forgot but, but, the main character's name? No, 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 but, but, but it's not him. Like, it's not, it's, it's, he, it's when he's not her Christian Bale. Borden and Fallon? Yes. So whichever one is hers, I don't know. I don't know if she got Gordon or if she or Borden or if she got Fallon. <laughs> when she's having dinner and the Christian Bale that was allotted to her was not her Christian Bale, and he's like, like, like he's like big sad about his wife who's v mad at him, 
And she goes, I told you, when you're with me, you're with me. You leave your family at home. And this almost commandeering thing about her that I do think is a strength and that we see in other Scarlett Johansson performances. Now, uh, I mean, to this day, I still think her best performance is lost in translation, though I acknowledge a ton the strength that she has in Marriage Story. So I'm overall, I think that she she's got something going on. Rebecca Hall, absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. This is the woman who trained Kong. Like, Rebecca <laughs> Hall is killing it with, oh, just like her poise. She's so classy. She's so classy in how she's presenting and also how she has discovered a secret about Bale that we do not know. She's hinting at it. I don't know if you got that. Yeah. She, that, that particular line that you mentioned earlier on, she says, I know what you are. It was improvised. She felt bad about it, but Nola kept it in the movie. We get hints that she might be picking up on the, the plot twist of this movie about who Borden and who Fallon are. And, and yet it's, even with that slight knowledge that she may be gaining, it's not enough for Sarah um, to still have to deal with it. And the poise that you mentioned, it, I think that's a very good word um, to describe her performance in this movie because she doesn't get a lot to do. She's not in a lot of scenes, but what she has, she absolutely crushes. And it could have been easy to make this this tragic character just sort of a phoned in, a lot of screaming, highly emotional performance, but she turns in some really, really good work, especially in the scenes where she and Borden are talking about, you know, do you love me today? Yes, you do. No, you don't. Those kinds of conversations. She really nails it, relishing in when she can tell that he does love her and really being hurt by, but trying to hide it when she knows that the love is not there that day. I think those scenes in particular are just stupendous. So some good performances, some questionable accent work as well. <laughs> but Christian, I want to make sure that we talk about just the, the role of the magician and the magic in this movie. Because Nolan goes deep into magicians and their craft and their art, the performance they're putting in on stage, and everything that goes in behind the scenes, like I talked about. It's analogous to some of the ways that he likes to make movies and there are some ideas that run through the prestige involving magic and magicians that i think are important to discuss about the themes going on here if i can touch on that magic the, mo the magic of the movies idea once again i think we get it right from the first scene because if you recall the the opening of this movie is a pan over a field filled with top hats which we find out why later but we hear christian bale's voice come over and he says a line that he repeats throughout the movie, are you watching closely? And then we cut. And we see Cutter interacting with a little girl and talking about the different parts of a magic trick. But that idea of, are you watching closely? And that question being so key to magicians because they need your attention to really pull off a trick. I think Nolan, again, Magic of the Movies, points out that that is a key idea for a filmmaker. He needs your attention to pull off this trick of filmmaking, he needs you to be wowed. He needs you to be blown away by what he's doing with his camera, with his characters, with his effects. And I loved picking up on through lines like that throughout this movie. So are there any 
aspects of of being a magician i don't know if there's a noun for that but magicianry or or magic stagecraft anything that stood out to you uh, as significant to this movie kind of that are you watching closely question things of that nature that you wanted to bring up i i mean um this not questions though i i will say it works much better here than in tenet you know the line in Tenet where he, of where, course. where the line, yes. the, the, no, I mean, I mean, where, where they say, um, feel it, don't try and fight it. And kind of the, how every critic has said that that's how he wants you to see Tenet to just like experience it. Two thumbs up for that idea, Christopher Nolan. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I think that that is full on display with, watching closely but also are you willing to get your hands dirty now the the presence of that in a filmmaker how much are you willing to sacrifice is it's it's kind of meta contextual and i don't want to bring christopher nolan's personal life into this i don't want to bring christopher nolan even the events of this past year of him into this although i will say there has to be be in your mind where you're going to draw the line now he doesn't really state where the line is drawn for either character neither of them draw a line they're like i will die i will (laughs) die before another magician beats me so it, it is an interesting idea of like will you die before you stop making movies Will you die before you give 120% and request $400 million to budget this out? I saw that. And I think I, even with that idea, uh, particularly of sacrifice and how far are you willing to go, I think I can see bits of Christopher Nolan's philosophy in each of his main characters. Because you have Robert Angier, who is more of a showman, not as quote-unquote skilled as a magician, as uh, Borden often notes but who is the showman who wants to put on a good show, who wants to make money, who wants to wow an audience. And then you have Alfred Borden, this purist who just wants to do good magic, but he can't put on a show, so he can't bring in the crowds. And his his challenge throughout the movie is to get a little bit out of his own butt and focus on putting on a better show, which spurs on the heated rivalry with Angier. And I, I see those competing aspects of, of Christopher Nolan, you know, putting himself into his characters again. And it's fun to watch those ideas fight throughout the movie and clash because, of course, we'll now drift into full spoiler territory. Everybody dies at the end of this movie. <laughs> uh, at the beginning, we have Angier. Not everybody dies, of course, but Angier stages his own death to implicate Borden. And by the end of the movie, he is still alive. He is still alive, portraying a character named Lord Caldlow. And then, of course, Borden is actually two people, twin brothers, who had been playing Borden and Fallon. Of course, we can't know their real names. But they had been committing to this act of, of portraying two people. And one Borden dies, hanged for the murder of Robert Angier. And the other, we'll call him Fallon, kills the surviving Angier. And he is left left alive. And there's just so much death and, and wreckage in the wake of this rivalry between these two men. One person loses his twin brother. One person loses everything because he sacrificed everything already. 
and these competing ideals are so f- it's fascinating to to watch unfold and it's another aspect of the prestige that ages so well even if you know the twist that borden and fallon are two people that angier is still alive you know that what have you that they're all going to die there's so much more we could say in terms of these you know themes of, of obsession and sacrifice and and self-sacrifice the richness to these performances but obviously we don't have all day christian so is there anything else that you want to briefly touch on things that you love about this movie being your favorite christopher nolan movie um anything else that you feel like is important to know for the, the those listening at home i don't believe so well I, I mean just a repetition of what i said earlier even when you get that twist that christian bale is playing two people you see earlier and, and you rewatch this movie all the lines kind of make more sense like all the previous tricks kind of have deeper steel there are some films where like hereditary as much as i love hereditary the second when i rewatched it had much less of a kick than it had the first time i did not get that from the prestige had just as much of, of of a transcendence as it did the first time I saw it. The only last thing that I would touch on is I think this is just a, a well-crafted movie. In addition to Nolan's screenplay with his brother and the performances of the actors and, and some of these themes, uh, again, it was nominated for its art direction and its cinematography and they used handheld cameras throughout and, and not a lot of traditional setups, a lot of natural light. And they only built one set for this movie, dressing up a lot of different cities like Los Angeles to look like the cities they needed to for the time frame. So even from that perspective, if you're not as big of a Christopher Nolan fan, I think there's something to appreciate there if you're a big fan of, of that kind of craft in the movies. So The Prestige, strongly recommended from Christian and myself, our first movie of Magic May which I can officially now call it. We love a good alliterative name. Uh, is it streaming anywhere, Christian? I know I rented from Amazon. It's on Tubi TV. There you go. It's on Tubi TV, free with ads. Shout out to the good people at Tubi. So next week, Magic May marches on, and we will look at a very interesting movie in the context of The Prestige. It is The Illusionist, another 2006 movie following a magician this one, not as well-loved, but we'll see. We'll see, Christian, if we can reevaluate and throw some praise towards The Illusionist, starring Edward Norton. That movie is, of course, rentable a variety of places, and it is streaming on Hoopla if you have a library membership that gives you access to Hoopla. So check it out there. There are a few things that you can do to support the show. Number one, obviously, if you are at this point in the podcast, thanks for listening and being here. We appreciate your support. We love putting the show together and it means a lot that there are people out there listening. Good people like Paul Gonzalez, who again recommended Magic May to us. So if you wouldn't mind, drop us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen. Helps us reach new listeners and be more promptly, not promptly, more properly supported on those platforms. You can also drop us a line at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com where we are actively incorporating your feedback and we try to read those emails live on air when we receive them. You can also tweet at us at cinemadrip or follow Christian and myself on Letterboxd where we are rating and reviewing the things we are watching. Christian, any final thoughts for those listening at home? You can also watch it on uh, Prime Video with, free with IMDb TV, The Illusionist. Well, there you go. There are multiple places to stream The Illusionist, folks. And we hope you will watch it and tune in again next week. Because until then, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast. <laughs>